question comes in from Janice. It comes in on WhatsApp. It is a WhatsApp message, and it says, Why speak in tongues? With a question mark from Janice in Cartonville. Janice, thank you so much for that question. I'm going to give Peter just the briefest time to think about how to open in answering that. But in the meantime, I'm going to tell the listeners how they can send in their own questions. They can join the conversation this morning by phoning into the studio. The telephone number is 012-334-1322. Vusi is standing by to take your calls. Not only that, you can drop a comment on Facebook. That is our Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page. Uh, now would be a great time to like and share if you're listening in on Facebook. And you can send a voice note into WhatsApp. Uh, that is 082 Six five seven two seven two nine, guys. Bad news. I just tried the Twitter handle um, through Twitter myself, and it did not come up onto my dashboard. So I'm assuming, we see that there is a technical problem uh, in terms of the application that we use for our dashboard as it relates to Twitter. So I either need to stop saying that because maybe people have been tweeting for the last couple of years, and uh, and I haven't been seeing you. In which case, I'm dreadfully sorry um, but while we look at the technical glitch on Twitter maybe I should just uh, open up an answer uh, or the opportunity for Peter to answer the question why speak in tongues that's a great question and to answer that question we need to go back to where we see that for the first time in the New Testament which is Acts chapter 2 well, when the disciples were all gathered together and they were praying when the tongues of fire came over them and then they started, as the New Testament, as Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 writes, they started speaking in tongues. And um, the, the the word for tongue there, the Greek word gluosa, it's it means language. Um, we In fact, some great translations, I'm thinking of the Christian Standard yes. Bible, um, translates in um in Acts chapter 2 consistently as languages. I, I did appreciate uh, that particular translation there. I'm fairly certain the New American Standard Bible so. would make the distinction um, between languages known to men and tongues yes. as well and distinguish because yeah. it's a very literal translation. Anyway, No, I, definitely. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's meant to be understood in the same way, for example, when we say the, the, the phrase, what's your mother tongue? Yes. No, everyone understands that to be okay. What's your home language? What do you speak with your parents and your friends and your siblings? And and then if we continue in Acts chapter two, we see that verified when we have this list of nations given to us, people from all over the the Mediterranean, from different regions with different languages. Then they say, how is it that we hear these Galileans speaking each one his own language? Uh, it's it's almost like as if Luke is really trying to make us understand yes. that the tongues that this event that is happening here, they're not just um, they're not just uh, speaking gibberish. They are speaking the different languages of the different people who, from all over the Mediterranean who have gathered in Jerusalem. And what was it that they were speaking in these different tongues? Well, that's made clear by Peter when he then stands up. And he then proclaims the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is Jesus. He's the son of David. He's the king of Israel. He's the one who was innocent, the one without sin, who was was uh, put to death for the sins of the nations and those who believe in him. So just to clarify... 
Peter, you and I are on the same page here. When we talk of tongues, we are talking about languages known to men that primarily are used to declare the great and glorious works of God. In other words, a tongue is specifically designed to be a, mir a miracle. This is a language known to men that I didn't learn. So let's say I know how to speak English, Afrikaans, and a smattering of uh, Zulu. Um, but in reality, if I had to speak in tongues, I would be speaking in German or in Japanese, which mm. I do not know from a bar of soap other than Sayonara. And I'm just thinking in Japanese. I could probably say something, but uh, but mm -hmm. not live on air. Um, uh, from, from watching movies, uh, you know, kind of like old war movies, <laughs> I could try and muster up something from The Great Escape. The bottom line, though, is what would be a miracle is I haven't learned German or Japanese. And so if I to speak German or Japanese, that in itself would be a miracle, but the miracle is further compounded because I would be declaring the great and glorious works of God mm. in ways that the hearers could understand. Definitely. I mean, that's like, that's amazing, that's right? Amazing. I mean, that is amazing. Is. Okay, so Acts chapter 2 rocks when we, mm. when we start off the conversation regarding tongues. And um, an objection that is often thrown towards this being real languages in instead of also that people try to justify it being like um, unrecognizable sounds is they would often go to 1 Corinthians 13 to, to verse 1 where Paul says if I speak in tongues of men and of angels he says that there Paul see Paul says you can speak in tongues of men and tongues of angels so this this gibberish that you call gibberish it's it's a tongue of angel but that's not what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul is speaking in the hyperbole. I mean, literally, he uses the word hyperbole at the yes. end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a more excellent way, a, a hyperbolic way. Yes. <laughs> and he talks about like offering your body to the flames. He's not saying actually offer yeah. your body to the flames. He's speaking in hyperbole. Because he's trying to emphasize love. That, that is the emphasis, the importance of love. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Then there's second hyperbole. If I have all prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, but have not, you know, that love, it's, it's useless. He didn't have all prophetic powers. He didn't know all knowledge. And then the last hyperbole he gives in verse free if if i give away everything i have and if i give up my body to be burned he never did that you know he never gave up his body to be burned but if i do not have love i gain nothing so he's he's using these free hyperboles these free exaggerations to emphasize the importance of love to this corinthian church that seemed to lack <laughs> uh, loving one another uh, so that's just a that's a common a common objection that I that I hear, but it's it's a it's a misuse of of the text. That's not at all what Paul is saying. So, so I, I would just conclude by saying that glossa tongues, it's every time in the New Testament, it's it's always been a language, a real language, and the purpose has always been the proclamation of God. So. So now that we kind of like have broached the topic of tongues and thank you so much um, Janice for asking the question. I, I do however want to answer your question uh, even more directly not just to interpret what tongues means but also to answer your question and so your question was why uh, speak in tongues and the answer I think is given most clearly by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 he says in verse 22 the following tongues are a sign 
not for believers but for unbelievers and so if you take a look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 he's speaking about the worship service he's speaking about um, prophecy and tongues and how we engage and interact with one another and the key idea through the whole of 1 Corinthians 14 is the idea that the gifts of God are given that we might be edified that we might be built up and in this case tongues specifically as a miraculous gift is given for unbelievers that they might indeed even as they hear tongues be excited and wonder and marvel at the glory of God and the miracle that they are observing and that they would hear of the great and glorious works of God in a language which they have never that the person who's speaking them has never learnt in other words it underpins it underlines it highlights and accentuates that this person is indeed speaking the very words of God in contrast to prophecy for instance which is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers that's the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 22 now Janice, I'd love to bring in somebody else at this stage. So a very good friend of mine, uh, like a best friend of mine, Andrew, um, after last week's show when we were speaking about tongues in particular, said, ah, Mark, but you need to engage with somebody who asks the kinds of questions that you are not interacting with. Um, And he referenced me to an excellent article written by Sam Storms. Now, Sam Storms is a theologian. I've actually read and listened a bit to Sam Storms. He really does speak on clarity on a number of issues. Um, he's what would be called a continuist. He holds to a continuation of the sign gifts, particularly the gift of tongues. And he puts together 10 arguments um, around the gift of tongues. I've read the arguments. I'm pretty keen on engaging with them. I doubt we'll be able to engage on all of these arguments uh, this morning. But, but I thought that that maybe we could start to interact um, with some of the objections that Sam Storms raised. And he actually says, my plea to cessationists, and by the way, I mean, Peter, that would be you and me, mm-hmm. uh, cessationists, uh, you know, whether pragmatic cessationists or <laughs> partial or full cessationists, we could well be called cessationists. We see this gift as having ceased in some form. I'm just pragmatically not seeing it in play the way that I would expect to around me. Um, But Sam writes, my plea to all cessationists is simply this, refute each of these arguments with uh, persuasive and biblically based counter evidence or cease appealing to this notion that tongues are always human languages as a reason for embracing your view on the perpetuity of such gifts. So his first argument out of 10 is that Acts 2 is the only text in the New Testament where tongues or speech consists of foreign languages not previously known by the speaker. This is an important text, yet there is no reason to think that Acts 2, rather than say 1 Corinthians 14, is the standard by which all occurrences of tongues must be judged. Other factors suggest that tongues could also be heavenly or angelic speech and so the first argument is hey man Acts chapter 2 it's the only place where tongue speech consists of foreign languages not previously known by the speaker well let me start off by saying "Mm, Sam I think that that is incorrect and uh, let me give you um, textual reasons for that the next place in God's word where tongues is spoken uh, would be uh, 
typed in my Bible accidentally 1 Corinthians chapter 10 I meant to say um, Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 10 we have the story of Peter taking the good news of the gospel uh, to Cornelius a man who evidently feared God and we read of tongues coming down uh, in a peculiar way being given as a gift by the Holy Spirit in a peculiar way during the conversion of Cornelius and indeed all that were at his house now you would be contending right now um, that this would be different to Acts chapter 2 because the argument being made in the first point is that Acts chapter 2 is the only text in the New Testament where tongue speech consists of foreign languages not previously known to the speaker but it would seem that the writer of Acts Luke is being very intentional in making the reader understand that what they are seeing in Acts chapter 10 is the same as what happened at Acts chapter 2. In fact, uh, Peter in, did I say Paul earlier or did I say Peter? I think I I said Peter. Peter, I just want to make very, very evident that it's Peter. In, In fact, Peter makes that clear as he then goes to the believers in Jerusalem and gives an account of what happened in Cornelius's house. And it's true to say that at Cornelius's house we just read um, of tongues. And one would then say, ah, oh, well, it's not explicitly languages known to men. And so it could be anything. It could be an angelic language, uh, a language unknown to men. Although there wouldn't be anything really miraculous about that. Um, but Peter himself, as he goes and he speaks to the believers, um, gives this understanding, um, both when he speaks at the time that Cornelius is saved and later as he testifies in Jerusalem. In verse 37, he says, well, verse 34, he opens his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he he goes and he explains the gospel message to them. In verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. In other words, something incredible is happening here because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues extolling God. Now here's the thing. They heard them speaking in tongues and very specifically they were extolling God. In other words, just like at the beginning, they were declaring the mighty works of God and his awesome purpose. Well, Peter then, when he responds to and reports to the church in Jerusalem, uh, says uh, in from, I'm going to pick it up from uh, verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was that I could stand in God's way. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? 
Now, when they heard these things, they fell silent. In other words, the people in Jerusalem fell silent. And then after that, they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that Acts 2 is very clearly languages known to men. Acts chapter 10 Peter is very clear it's the same gift as we received at the beginning that would be languages known to men and the Jewish witnesses in chapter 10 they heard them extolling the great and glorious works of God so that would be my response to Sam Storms just in terms of his first point that Acts 2 is the only text in the New Testament where tongue speech consists of foreign languages now in addition to Acts chapter 10, I think I could make a very good case from Acts chapter 14 that it is speaking about languages known to men. As I go across to Acts chapter 14 and as I read it, it seems abundantly clear that Paul is saying that tongues must be understood. Hmm. That's, the, that's the whole point that he's, that he's trying to make in Acts chapter 14 and he, and he makes it um, in a number of ways the whole way through the chapter but maybe most specifically um, he talks on uh, three illustrations, three metaphors that if a tongue isn't understood it doesn't count. It's absolutely pointless. He says in verse 6, and now it's in the words of Paul, Now, brothers, if I came to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? In other words, a flute needs to be played in a way that you can hear the melody no one's going to know what's going on this is his first illustration his first metaphor his second one is if a bugle gives an indistinct sound who will get ready for battle in other words on the battlefield if you hear a bugle going dun, 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 or whatever it might be what's the sound of redraw dun, uh, I, I can't remember but the bugle sound to withdraw from battle if it doesn't actually make the sounds that can be understood by everyone mm. what's the point of the bugle he goes on to saying so with yourselves if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible how will anyone know what is said for you will be speaking into the air in other words tongues need to be languages known to men else what's the point yes. there will doubtless be many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. In other words, languages have meaning. Friends, when you speak a language, it's known to men. Um, and then he ends off uh, by saying, uh, But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker. And the speaker, a foreigner to me. That's his third metaphor. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. In other words, tongues are given to build up the church. They're not just given so that you can you know, speak into the air uh, sounds that when together with other people in the church spoken into the air sound beautiful and lift your emotions no they're given so that they can be understood and so i do believe that on sam storm's first point he is absolutely incorrect acts 2 is not the only text in the new testament where tongue speech consists of foreign language we can mm. cite acts 10 in addition to that and then certainly 1 corinthians 4 14 is the standard by which all occurrences of tongue speech must be judged um, and I would say um, any other passages of scripture uh, which would include uh, the 
disciples of John and the Samaritans when they speak in tongues um, can be therefore judged according to Acts 2, Acts 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I don't know if there's anything that you want to add in terms sure, of a conversation was, with with Sam. Yeah, that was a masterful answer. Thank you for that. One thing that I, I'd just like to address is I, I think it is sort of, I think it's a bit of a fallacy to say, you know, to, to go on the assumption that Acts chapter 2 Let's say for the sake of argument, it was the only chapter that you just disproved now. But let's say for the sake of argument, it was the only chapter in the Bible that dealt with this example. Shouldn't that be enough? I mean, how how many examples would then satisfy you? Would two satisfy you? Two examples? Would three examples satisfy you? Um, to, to, to give an illustration, I have a... Often I have a good conversation with a, a Muslim friend of mine, and he he does the the same sort of reasoning around the virgin birth of Jesus. Yes, he says, well, the Old Testament has what 589 chapters, and there's only one verse in the Old Testament that prophesies the virgin birth. The New Testament has how many chapters? And there's only two places in the whole New Testament in Matthew and Luke where the virgin birth is recorded. You'd think if it was such an important thing that it would be repeated a lot and that's the line of argument he, he makes mm. and uh, it's the same sort of fallacy that I see in this line of argument. Um, just just for the sake of argument, if it was repeated once, yes. that shouldn't disqualify it. Well, and, and maybe just to kind of close off, uh, we, we might go on to the second point that Sam raises, but but this is a conversation between brothers. Mm. This isn't a conversation between between um, those that desire to disparage the word of God. I, I sincerely believe that Sam Storms is intentionally trying to find um, biblical and valid biblical evidence uh, for the arguments that he's trying to make. And I think based on that, and uh, that I do truly view him as a brother in Christ, um, we, we want to engage with one another, uh, sure, with the element of uh, of uh, of um, what's the right word um, we, we, we want to be we want to be as sound as we mm. can as we engage with one another uh, we want to be bold where we are bold we want to be biblical in yeah. all of these matters and and answer one another biblically now <laughs> I haven't prepared um, to answer these questions I'm, I'm reading them as they are in front of me um, I don't know what number two is but but I'm going to read it we've got a couple of minutes before we are joined uh, by a friend uh, Sibu Sisu, um on the call as we have a spotlight on a local church but the second question is to begin uh, if tongue speech is always in a foreign language intended as a sign for unbelievers which interesting is what we spoke about uh, to Janice then why are tongues in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19 spoken in the presence of only believers um, so maybe let me just read the question again it's, it's so interesting it just happens to be what we were speaking about with, with Janice and the point that I had made um, so it wasn't preempted but to being to begin if tongue speech is always in a foreign language which we have contended that it is and intended as a sign for unbelievers why are the tongues in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19 spoken of 
in the presence only of believers. Well, in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19, we are talking about um, tongues being spoken um, at the point of belief um, in much the same way as Acts chapter 2. It's tightly related to the salvation narrative of Pentecost. Acts chapter 10 is tightly related to the salvation narrative of Cornelius. Acts chapter 19 is tightly related to the salvation narrative of the final Jewish converts, the Old Testament saints, those that believed in John the Baptist's baptism of coming into faith. And I would say that the sign, um, in terms of its intention for unbelievers, um, as um, tongues are spoken, they are unbelievers, they are hearing the great and glorious work of the Lord, and we have a a record of them coming to faith as as the gift of the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Um, now, now Luke might not be dishing that out in chronological sequence in, in the way that you desire it to be, um, but the reality is even as tongues are being spoken, there are unbelievers in the room in both Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, and then spoken about uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I d- maybe also just to say, it seems that the sign is also given for the Jewish observers. Mm. So, I, I mean, it's really important to note that the observers in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 19 are all Jews. In Acts chapter 2, it's Jews from all over the known world that listen and marvel at the sign. In Acts chapter 10, there are a number of Jewish converts who accompany Peter with them um, from Tarshish, where they found Peter. I'm sure it was Tarshish where they found Peter. That accompany him to Cornelius and um, and and those Jewish observers observe this tongues and and therefore understand that this can be communicated back to the church in Jerusalem and again we have the discussion of the Jewish converts um, under John the Baptist's baptism Uh, again are witnesses in Acts chapter 19 interesting Sam dropped off uh, the the fourth conversation of tongues and that would be those that are in Samaria again you have Jewish Jewish converts who come down from Jerusalem to Samaria together with I think Philip the evangelist um, and that would be around Acts chapter 8 chapter 9 and they also witness the 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 speaking of tongues as a miracle and marvel and report back to the church in Jerusalem and so I, I think maybe just uh, one uh, one time that tongues is spoken about an axe has been dropped off uh, the conversation in the second point that Sam raises um, but number two in, in all of those points there are unbelievers in the room that are witnessing this great and glorious miracle yeah and, and for for our listeners who would want to dig around the, uh, this topic a bit for themselves uh, on, on our Facebook stream I'll also put it on uh, IONO uh, dot fm uh, for those for those listening to stream there i'll put the link there to a, a small booklet a smallish booklet it's not too small uh, written by pastor jewel james where he just deals with a lot of these topics very much in the same way mark that you dealt with it now cool and and what i what i want to do is also on the on the stream right now on radio pulpit i have put a link uh, to sam's original 10 uh, questions that he wrote uh, and the article that he wrote and that'll give us an indication because we can't deal with all 10 of them today uh, we'll deal with a couple more next week um, and then into the next year 